Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do, the UK's premier RPG podcast. And I am one of the two premier RPG hosts, Gaz, and with me, as usual, is my good friend Baz. How's it going, Baz? I am the premier in of podcast hosts. Oh, that doesn't make me the travel lodge. <laughs> I'm the hypoallergenic pillow you never knew you needed. It does sound like you're suffering a bit. You haven't got strep A or a scarlet fever or COVID or anything else, have you? I could have. Yeah, I could have. Who knows? I can't see the places I used to get rashes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I've, I've got... Every year I used to... This is a boring story, so I'm not even going to tell it. But let's just say something used to happen which doesn't happen anymore. So that's that. Right. right. I'll, I'll let listeners uh, <laughs> write in on that one. That's on the past guides. <laughs> I'm not saying there will be a prize, but uh, feel free to, to fill in the blanks there. I've got, an, I've got an allergy, mate. Apologies if there are some kind of like sniffles and coughs and things. It's that time of year. I'll try try my best in editing to make it all sound perfect. And then you'll all be wondering what I'm talking about now because you, you won't hear anything. Exactly. I think I've got some kind of allergy, I don't know, to D4s or GMless games or something. I don't know what it is. Something weird has entered my house. Maybe an allergy to bad games. Let's hope you're not having any of those. So... It, it does seem it is that time of year, though, as well, that we should perhaps do a little bit of a retrospective, like have a look back on our past gaming year, and, and perhaps what we look forward to in, in the future as well, as for some reason, as the sun revolves around the globe, we somehow get a bit more optimistic, <laughs> don't we? That we, can, yeah. we can make it all better and uh, more beautiful, actually. It'll be so much more uh, more gaming going on and that kind of thing. Naive idealism. <laughs> despite, despite a bitter experience, perhaps. Exactly. But it's um yeah, it's not been a bad year for me. I've, I've noticed. I just had a quick look at my, my little spreadsheet that I've been putting together, and uh, I've, I'm definitely down on 2021. Oh. It's uh, I've not got as many games in. Probably down by about a quarter, which which feels bad when I do that. So maybe I shouldn't keep stats anymore. I won't feel so bad about it. But I think by the end of the year, if I manage to get uh, the couple more in that I'm planning to, I should have reached a hundred games at least. Oh wow! Okay. Which is you know on average is a couple a week. Which yeah. if you'd said that to me at the start of the year. I'd, I'd be quite happy to take on that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a ton of games, literally. You've got a ton up there, mate. That's If you said that to you when you were 14, you'd have been impressed. Yes. Yeah, quite. And uh, it, it's good as well that I've got a really good variety. I think Savage Worlds is my, my most played game of this year, which would be a shock and surprise to anyone who listens to the podcast. I am actually a little bit surprised by that, because when we catch up, you never seem to be playing Savage Worlds. So you're always telling me about all the other stuff you do, but has that just been chuntering along in the background as a regular staple? Well, it's uh, it's one of go tos for conventions, I think. That's what brings up the average. So, yeah, up, up to 11. Um, and then second behind that was Pendragon with 10 sessions. <laughs> no surprise. Uh, and then tying for second place, Star Trek Adventures and Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition. Ah. Online apiece, which I think's unusual, perhaps. Yeah. Quite a few Colfield and Delta Green. If you put them together, actually, there's 13 sessions of them, so right, that right, probably right. wins. But yeah, and then a smattering of all kinds of other things, from uh, Dogs in the Vineyard to Ars Magica, Cthulhu Hack, Fate Accelerated, Lords of the Middle Sea, which I just tried at uh, the Christmas Kraken, Scum and Villainy, Tales from the Loop, Tecumel is on there. Tecumel? Yeah, I've got a session of that in. Vampire V5, Avatar Last Airbender. <laughs> You're just making this stuff up now. Yeah, it feels like I read the Wikipedia page, doesn't it? But these are genuinely games I've either run or played or both over the last year. How's, how's your gaming bit? I don't think you perhaps have the spreadsheet that I do in, 
being a data person, but you, you possibly have <laughs> a, an inkling of what you've played at least. Uh, my gaming history for 2022 has not troubled the makers of Excel in any way. <laughs> <laughs> Barely troubled the post-it note. No, quite. Uh, but no, but I, I have in my hands an artifact. You can see it. No one else can. It's great for audio. This. This is the notebook that I bought last Christmas. Posh one. That I was going to record all of my gaming shenanigans in over the year. So you've got to have a decent notebook, haven't you? If you've got a decent notebook, the chances are the idea is that you will do more with it than if you just you know, pretend. Um, but actually what ends up happening is you have an awful lot of lovely notebooks which have got the first two pages filled in. <laughs> but not in this case, because I bought a special pen as well. And that was it turns out that was all it took to get some gaming in. Special pen plus special notebook, and away we go. Um, ridiculously, when I was playing a game this week, uh, Steve Forge Matt, good friend of the show, co-host of the show on more than one occasion, mm. uh, it turns out he has exactly the same notebooks. And uh, in, a, in a kind of, you couldn't make it up espionage, like airport swap over, we ended up, <laughs> I, had his, I ended up with his phone in my pocket and, and he had the wrong notebook, which had all of his game preps and session notes in for that night's game. So <laughs> perhaps buying notebooks is not a good idea. Anyway, I've played quite a few games, thank you very much. It turns out that, I haven't got a number on this without looking, but I would say Blades in the Dark is probably right up there for most popular game. Yeah. Um, and a reasonable amount of that, all in the first half of the year. In fact, most of my gaming was in the first half of the year for reasons. Mm-hmm. I've also played some Dungeon World, um, which was a really great experience. We can go to details later, I guess, but I really enjoyed doing Dungeon World. It was a bit of a test for me and a test for my players at times as well. But that went really well. More Blades in the Dark. As I'm flicking through, there's probably a session every couple of weeks in there of various sorts of things. And, of course, uh, a fairly big dabbling in RuneQuest because I was doing my little side quest podcast uh, about a year ago. Um, And that was, yeah, that was about January time. Um, Mm. And I got a a session of RuneQuest played online with a couple of some other guys. And, yeah, so... Mostly Blades in the Dark. There's been a couple of other things since. Uh, we've recently been playing a Star Wars, FFG Star Wars, which is the current one. I still believe it is the current one, I think, still, yeah. Yeah. Um, so as alluded to last podcast, we've been playing some Star Wars of late. Actually, it's been the year of board games, realistically, some of which have been incredibly RPG-adjacent and potentially arguable, maybe, that they have been RPG sessions just with an awful lot of bling on the table. Yeah. <laughs> so not a completely fallow year, but most of this is packed into the first half of the year and the last month or so, with a huge dry drought in the middle. Do you know what? As as, um, as I am with my data, I'm not doubting the, the statistics. I'm looking at the aggregate figures and want to drill down into the data because I'm, I'm convinced there's something wrong there. <laughs> but it might just be my mind playing tricks on me, as tends to happen, because I'm sure with... Uh, uh, another stunt baz, Mr. Guy Milder, who was the burn after running blog, and, and my usually cheesy group, we played some FFG Star Wars earlier in the year. Oh, I'm you did? Yeah, sure. yeah, I'm sure you did, yeah. But it might have been last year or something. I don't know. That's, this is where memories fade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get a notebook? <clears throat> I do. That, that would definitely help. But I only seem to have one session down, and we definitely played more. So maybe I played more than 100 games. Maybe there's, there's, uh, there's just an error in record keeping. That, yeah. that could be it. Yeah, well, you know, roll accountancy. See what you get. 
I mean, a, a bunch of these games, so it's like one or two months were saved in terms of number of games played due to going to conventions. So that's probably yes. something that's uh, back on the map for most people again these days is during the COVID times, we had a lot of people away. And in fact, sometimes you just couldn't get any kind of uh, yeah. in-person game at all, could you? So, so that's come back with a with a bit of a vengeance, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still, there's still that spectre of disease around, isn't there? Because yes. we went to Furnace... Uh, or sorry, I certainly did, and I think about four GMs couldn't make it on the day. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know they tested the night before or whatever on the morning and went, oh no, actually I'm, I can't come. I've got to isolate. And there was a lot of jigging around of games and trying to get people into things. And even then on the day, some people didn't turn up or some people left on the Sunday and stuff. So although things kind of feel like they're getting back to normal, there's still obstacles being thrown in our path to mean that games can't happen. Which well, is a bit um, upsetting. you're right. And gamers, in the main, tend to be, I think, um, good people, good sensible people, who are quite happy to mask up and ignore any kind of government guidelines on health and just do what's right, right instead. So mm-hmm. I've definitely seen a, a lot of compliance with, like, you know, vaccinations and lateral flow testing and masking up, but well beyond what your sort of regular person in the street would be doing. Um, and quite right too. So you know, better safe than sorry. And I think the gamers have been. Um, They've been very, very notable by their compliance on this kind of stuff, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think so. But it, it is good to see events actually happening again, I think. Absolutely. So one of the things that seems to be, a, um, saying it's a hangover makes it sound like it's a bad thing, and I guess the jury's out whether it is good or bad, but uh, virtual conventions were the thing that happened over lockdown. And something I've noticed for certainly some conventions now is that if it's, uh, for example, the good friends of, uh, Jack Elias or Gamers and BS or these other like podcasts that have uh, a healthy Discord community and you know um, organise their own cons as well to that their their virtual conventions still seem to be happening yeah so that's you know the the enablement that happened during lockdowns helped that I think and then for some in person conventions as well like Rug Meet which I went to there's a virtual version of that because there's still people who are part of like the gaming community who want to still play internationally or you know yeah. at events they can't get to physically or due to whatever time family money it's in the wrong continent whatever it might be so it's almost i don't want to say a good thing but it's there's a a benefit that's come out of that time which means that uh you've kind of got like dual conventions that must go on sometimes that you've got meat space one and then you have a virtual element that still allows some interaction for other people as well yeah indeed no it's true it's still it's still easier to get a game than it's ever been before And, Mm. and now we're back to having a choice of like going around your mate's house which we can actually do legally now, and yeah. uh, and hopping online and getting a game with almost no notice. So, yeah, happy days. And Roll20 is still a big part of our hobby, isn't it? Amongst other tabletops, amongst other virtual yeah, yeah. simulators. But, yeah, I've certainly sunk some hours into R20 over the last couple of years, and that's starting to pay itself back a bit. Um, and then you see the whole industry moving in that direction a little bit too sometimes when you see um, streaming is still a massive deal, massive, massive, mm-hmm. massive deal. And the talk of the new Dungeons & Dragons... Um, which appears to have playing on a laptop or doing some kind of online presence pretty much at the core of the experience rather than just as an adjunct to it. And that's right. going to be the way things go, I think. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if we get uh, more nuanced or more broadly implemented tabletop simulators, I guess is the way to describe them, because there's, as well as having stuff like uh, Fantasy Grounds or Rel20 or that kind of stuff, there seem to be a lot of electronic products that people are pushing now to like help you with your game sort yes. of thing. So yes, that's right. 
uh, not just beyond 20, but there's people who just seem to be doing platforms, which apparently will help you with your character sheet and improve your campaign no end. And sometimes I really struggle to find out what it is they're offering you. I can't work <laughs> it out. I don't, I'll ask pointed questions. I still not get a really clear answer. Uh, but we'll get told quite uh, enthusiastically that I should pay them $10 a month because then my games will all be better yeah. in nebulous ways that I can't pinpoint. Uh, I know of at least one person who tells me they have a collection of virtual dice. That's right, a collection <laughs> of virtual dice. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. <laughs> <laughs> they, they pay extra to reskin them different colours and stuff. And Genuinely, yeah. they do. That's it. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah, you get them oh, in the Storm wow. Lightning special edition dice set that's just available on your screen. Yeah, I know. Well, okay. Let's hope we don't get dragged into that. That's a, a bottomless money pit I don't need right now. Yeah, well, I was I was reading a news article the other day about, uh, I think it was on EN World, uh, the collectible dice scene just became absolutely huge in the last couple of years, I guess as part of all of the new blood coming into the hobby. And everybody, we remember this, we've, we've been part of this, and I don't begrudge them at all. People want to get a nice sexy dice set, don't they? Especially if it's your first one ever. And when they're available in all kinds of shapes and sizes and the... The 3D printing and, the, and Etsy is a thing, and you can have them in copper tins and all the rest of it, and it's all engraved up. You can spend a lot of money on dice. We have spent a lot of money on dice, but people are getting their custom sets now and, and, and really making them their own. And that apparently has died off a little bit, but you know, dice, I think, were making as much money as anything else in the last couple of years, mm. even when people couldn't necessarily roll them. Yeah, um, not in front of anyone else anyway. Just lonely rolling fun, and you take them out of their little velvet holders, roll them, and put them back again. <laughs> well, a, a new thing that uh, I discovered uh, this this weekend as well was that apparently dice were going to be collectible or certain types. So there you are. Yeah, I, I, I got mine out my like frosted Chessex gem style dice, which like for everybody out there, if you're buying dice, make them readable, please, at the yep. table. And that's one of the reasons I like them because they are very readable. And they look like sweeties as well, which is nice. But I just poured some out on the table to pick the ones I wanted for that particular game. And, and someone let me across and went, oh, they're the, the red frosted Chessex. I was like, oh, yes, they are indeed red and from Chessex. Like, oh, they're, they're worth quite a lot now. Wait, are they the smoky ones? I was like, I, I have no idea. I just like them. Went, oh, I'm not sure. And then someone else got a couple of dice and went, oh, yes, they're the smoky ones. They're worth like $20 each. I was like, what? What's going on? These are just dice that I've collected and are personal to me, but apparently there's a, a secondary market now developing for artifacts of yore from when we were younger. Yeah. They're, they're now worth stuff to newer newer gamers, I guess. <laughs> Imagine what happens when they find out your ones only roll double zeros as well. <laughs> <laughs> but that was interesting. I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely still a market for in-person effects and bling, isn't there? That's that's something that I don't think is ever going to go away, really, for our hobby. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> you know, that bit of uh, meeting at conventions that we've mentioned that, that I still like is, um, for example, if you see a good friend of the show, Debbie, who like, uh, played quite a few of my games, she'll always bring out uh, this variety of pink dice yeah, of all kinds of different shades and colours and glitteriness and whatever else, but it's always commented upon. And it's just things like that are nice stuff. And, and you know, our other good friends of the show that, that we've got... Um, Phil and Paul Baldowski I saw at the weekend from Oh Rolled Up. They're like Aru's as they're called and, and other sort of accoutrement that they produce. People like to share them, don't they? And yes. you know, com- you know, compliment each other or share patterns and Dr. Mitch, the guest we've had on a couple of times, he's got a tweed one because he's always wearing tweed and there's special editions for them and there's just a bit of ooh and ah and shared community around the hobby around 
not the games you're playing necessarily, but all the bits that go around the games. Yeah, correct. And it extends to your T-shirts as well, doesn't it? Yes. I was lucky enough to go to Disney a few years ago, Disney World, and uh, families were abroad with their specially custom-printed T-shirts for their holidays, which was a bit much. But fast forward a couple of years, you can't go to a convention without your wingmen, and you've all got your special T-shirts with like your tour dates on the back. It's really sweet, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I, I like that um, sort of geek chic's out there in public as well. I think as we're in yeah. an Iraqis t-shirt or something like that. I tend to go for the ones which aren't uh, blatantly geeky, but if you if you know, if you like, if, if you're you know, in the you know, know yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the you know guy serving behind the pub went on oh, a good shirt, and like a couple of other people around town did and stuff. It's it's nice that that kind of stuff's permeating around now and becoming a bit more cool. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I posted a picture on Facebook the other day of me playing a, a fairly geeky war game. And I got a comment from the uh, the admin lady in the office at school. She's <laughs> got to be in her 70s. She goes, oh, me and my son-in-law, we play those sort of games. And uh, she showed me a game she was playing. It looked absolutely incomprehensible. So I've immediately ordered it. And it's on its way. <laughs> and it turns out that uh, you, if you fly your geek flag, someone often salutes. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yes. they're everywhere. Good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So this... um. In the first this year, I got to go to the Kraken again at Christmas time, like just last weekend. Weekend just gone for a Christmas Kraken. It's very small, uh, and I think if it happens again, it will be made a Bijou one of maybe you know a dozen people or something like that. Yeah. It's a bit of an awkward time of year and stuff, but but definitely was good to get away, and it, it meant that I got some like bits of board gaming and stuff as well because it's it felt like it's almost like the family Christmas. I wish I had you know? <laughs> not to be unkind to my family, but. <laughs> <laughs> just having like-minded people around even though like folk were in Christmas jumpers and all that kind of stuff and there was a tree and we're eating yeah. and you know all that kind of stuff uh, you were quite often picking up bits and pieces of like oh I just play this with us it'll take 20 minutes and I mean quick bits of board games and the little things that you don't normally see so yeah I played I don't know half a dozen different two player and, and small based games as well in between doing the role playing and stuff like that which you know it, it was good to have a bit of breadth because uh, I guess some of the conventions Certainly, like the ones at the garrison, for example, that we go to, like it can just be uh, three sessions of role playing in your day. And yes. if you're lucky, you get sort of an hour or so in between to kind of go and get a burger or a pint or something. But you're just role playing. So it was nice to have a, a different pace with that one to do something a bit different. You're a brave man, I tell you. I mean, board gaming at Christmas is just absolutely fraught for everybody anyway. But I will be rolling out my t shirt again. It's just a plain black t shirt with white letters on the front. And it simply says, Yes, it is your turn. And I'm just going to wear that all across Boxing Day. Because, because <laughs> honestly, what is the matter with people? Yes, it's all go. So, no, don't go and get some more cheese. Sit down. <laughs> well, a mantra for the weekend was kind of, if you're asking whose turn it is, it's yours. It's your turn. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. Oh, is it my turn? Yeah, has been for a while now. Oh, what's that rule again? Same as it was the last 25 times, mate. Get over here. <laughs> Well, because because um, Kraken's international as well. I got another good one player. I think it's one of the award-winning ones. I can't remember what it is. I should have looked at it beforehand, but I didn't bother. People can do that if they want to. Uh, around creating little land tiles or placing land tiles and animals, yeah, and stuff like that, uh, and getting points based on configurations. And each animal's got its own special thing it needs to to uh-huh. get more points and stuff. But because uh, there's no words on it, it meant that you know one game we've kind of got someone from Switzerland, Belgium, Germany, and England all playing it. Oh, nice! And you know. Nobody's arguing over the rules or trying to like reread what nuances mean or anything. It's just kind of like we we kind of get what we're supposed to be doing here and getting on with it, and nobody needs to say anything particularly. 
the international language of woodland creatures. Yeah, you know, there's just those nice little moments. I don't believe you could get in any of the kind of hobby, but, you know, someone will put a bear on a mountain and then it gets a yeah. polite both round of applause or a golf clap from the outside. <laughs> like, Great. From, from the outside, you'd be like, what has just happened? But, like, when you're in the game, you kind of go, oh, that was clever. Like a little golf clap. Or <laughs> <laughs> right, so the Germans like to they kind of, like, knock on the table, which is a thing. But, yeah. I like that we've got uh, more breadth to our gaming and that it's, um, it's becoming more socially acceptable out in the real world as well. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the giant game that I posted about that managed to attract an old-age pensioner that I'd worked with uh, was Oathsworn, um, which I had no previous knowledge of at all, but Steamforge Matt brought it to the table and he, he gets excited, bless him, about mm. the shiny stuff. So I thought, yeah, I'll give this a go. I'll tell you what, it's actually bitten me quite hard. It's actually, I think it's great. Um, and this is this is the big board game, which is the closest thing to an RPG I've played that isn't an RPG, right. uh, apart from Call of Cthulhu, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, uh, it's really cool. Uh, allow me to describe. Let me tell you about my character, right? Because that will do wonders for our audience figures. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, Oathsworn is a giant box. It's got minis and all the kit you could ever imagine, and it's a cooperative game. And it's what they call a dungeon crawler, but there's not much dungeon crawling. In fact, we haven't been in a dungeon yet. And if you've uh, had any experience of stuff like Gloomhaven, I suppose is the uh-huh. is the gold medal winner for for legacy gaming. It's it's kind of like that, and it's a legacy game. So as you play it, things change, and uh, you move through a campaign, and it's cooperative. So you don't need a GM, and the game is all cardboard and plastic, and it provides a pretty complete experience. The campaign is something else. It's really special. The setting is is kind of innovative in that it's a fantasy world and, and our characters are like, you know, bizarro fantasy races, but they're basically warriors and wizards, that kind of stuff. And the world is ostensibly just a bit of a sort of grimdark setup. And it reminds me of Simba Room more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it's got is the, is the forests in between the cities. So imagine like a Warhammer-style empire. You've got this great forest between the outposts within it. But the forest is alive and evil, and it is attempting to take over the world, as far as we could tell, and it's managing it too. So it's, it climbs over the city walls every night, and travellers between places have to travel on a thing called the Wire Road, which is a, a big steel cable which is attached through rings to big trees, which you have to hang on to and clip yourself to, to pull yourself along to get to the next settlement so you don't get right. ripped off into the trees, which is really evocative. And it won't, it's not a spoiler because it's scene one, but one of our party got dragged off into the forest in the first turn of the whole campaign <laughs> and just got devoured in front of our eyes. It's okay, right. they're still in the game because they're there as a ghost. Um, and they're, they're haunting us. They're literally haunting us for being shit in the first turn. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been going on for a while. And um, and it's it's kind of reversed from a lot of dungeon crawler games because you start off in a city, which, which just hilariously is called Bastone, which, if you read it cold off the page, is Baztown, which is hilarious. <laughs> so we, we spent loads of time in Baztown, going from location to location, picking up clues. Um, and Matt's running this off an app, and lots of games have apps now to sort of replicate that GM feel. And all it's doing is reading out the box text that would be in the leafer. But it's a massive difference having it read to you by a professional voice actor. Because mm. you can still do your banter. You can still do all your old you know, table talk and take the piss out of the description that's coming your way and so on but at the end of it it's a gm who has basically paid no attention to any of your nonsense and isn't getting derailed at all 
and isn't going to get some more cheese. And it just says, <laughs> you decide to accept the mission. Do you, uh, do you head out this morning or do you head out tomorrow? You can't do both. And it will just give you like, that's a terrible example. It will just give you really good dilemmas in almost in a fighting fantasy style. But it doesn't care that you've, that you've mocked it for having one of the NPCs called Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so it just gets on with it. And, yeah. uh, and within the first couple of sessions, we've had these enormous fights, which are the kind of level of 4th edition D&D when it comes to combat. So they're like a knight of itself. And then all this free flow role play stuff. And uh, again, without spoiling it, we got to see, uh, we got to experience a move I've only ever seen done once in a role playing game, which is the deliberate death of a PC as a sacrifice to enable everybody else to escape the fall of a city. Right. Which is a pretty big moment. Mm. And it was generated by a board game and it was a proper deliberate decision and it absolutely had to happen. And we, and you know, we got to like, tidy away this map of Baztown, which we'd been pretty much all over at this point, and we started to call it our home. And that's never coming back for reasons in the campaign. It's never coming back. That's that's like proper Warhammer stuff when like Bogenhafen goes up in pink flame at the end of it when you get it wrong. So things are moving and things are happening and our characters are progressing and we're getting a little bit more kind of precious about like our bits of kit and the NPCs that we've got. And we've got some fella called uh, Midge who's following us around. And we've got like a witch that we saved. And we've got a retinue. And now we bought a pub. And this is a board game. Mm. It's really, really something. I guess if you're into open world video games, it doesn't sound like I've explained anything innovative at all. And that's the sort of thing you do all day long on your own. But we're doing this around an actual table with tea and biscuits. And it's a really nice feeling. No one has to prepare, apart from like a bit of table space. We're all playing together. And people can come and go from the experience. It's um, it's really lovely. I, I highly can't recommend it too highly, although I think it is ridiculously expensive. <laughs> but, you know, the people who listen to this podcast are people of taste and they appreciate exotic and uh, luxurious items in their worlds. Yeah, most of them are too much money. Or certainly more money than ten. So, you know. Yeah. I look forward to seeing all the screenshots on uh, Twitter and uh, Mastodon when these things start landing in people's inboxes <laughs> for Christmas. <laughs> so far. Oh, yeah, the halls, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds really good, actually. But it is excellent, mate. It's superb. It's, it's looking for that. It's getting a reliable experience, isn't it? I think it's something that we've said about, um, not Call of Cthulhu, but the Arkham Horror card game, that it, it quite often delivers... A reliable cathedral experience that we sometimes don't get in a tabletop RPG session, and that's because, I guess, in an RPG session everything's more fluid. It depends who you're on the table with, and mood, and all these other things. Whereas they say, if you've got an AI controlling the key decisions, or not the decisions themselves, but making the decisions apparent, it doesn't care about what else is going on. It just presents you with the hard choices yes. and says, "Get on with it." It does, and it is. Uh, it could be accused of railroading. Um, but a lot of games get accused of railroading, and and I think if the view out of the windows is nice, it doesn't matter that you're going out on railroad. And mm. sometimes it's really obvious. It's like you end up at this encounter, despite doing everything you can to not get involved in this encounter. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you refuse to go and see the king. Uh, you you go out for a long walk when these nobles come to get you, uh, and you end up in the encounter anyway. But the way you get there is different, and so it's ta- it is taking you on a journey, and it is it is offering you hard choices but none of those choices are plus anything else you want to do. And I'm glad about that because I'm. how many times have we sat down for any session, even with the best of intentions, 
and you're all about to go and do your adventure and someone says oh i just need to do this first or can yeah. i get this thing repaired or or the gm goes any anything else before you set off as someone just has some aob don't they yeah. and that aob could just clag everything up there's none of that whatsoever as sometimes the decisions you get are dealt with in a in a in a way that john harper games would be so pleased with you know you get into, involved in a fight with some guards at the base of a tower press the button go to the next bit and it's talking about the blood dripping off the ends of your swords and how their headless bodies are arrayed in front of you. Mm -hmm. But one of them managed to raise the alarm. What do you do? So what? And it, you know, we didn't make any roles. We just made a choice. Do we attack yes. these guards or do we not? Uh, but that's fine because in most games, when you choose to attack the guards, yeah, you're going to have a combat. You are going to win though, aren't you? You are going to mm -hmm. win. Now, there won't be any PC deaths. and They are going to be dead. So we just flip the page or press the button and it happened. So Wow. This is a this is the kind of stuff we get in Blades sometimes, isn't it? We're like you know, yes. set set the stakes, frame it, roll the dice. Yeah, things have happened. A lot of things have happened, and now your situation is different. But you've got another dilemma in front of you. Yeah. It's like hello, we were rubbing our hands together at this one, chewing through plot, but not at a speed that made it feel like we weren't in control. It was good. Yeah, yeah, that sounds very good. I've been playing um, or running some Fifty Fathoms recently, you know, in our weekly group. It's brought thirty back around to me again, which is nice. Uh, we've mentioned it before, and it, you know, it's <laughs> as I say about all these products, it's always time, uh, but it's time wasn't the eighties, like yeah. some, some of the things. <laughs> that, so, you know, so it, it needs less work on it than perhaps some of the ones do, but it's really good. What I think the players are enjoying, because we always do our spangles and wangles at the end, our stars and wishes, as they're sometimes called. Is that they kind of have a choice of things to do, but it's not it's not a thing you were talking about where it's like, oh, can I just do this? And can yeah. I just do? Oh, what about this? Can we can we go back a minute? But it's like they've kind of got a, a, a constant rotor of two or three things they could be going for, yeah, as their main adventure for the week or whatever they're going to do next, and they pick one based on what they feel like, and they get to the point now where they started talking about what they might want to do next week in terms of well, we'll get this done and get back to uh, Baltimore, and so then we need to go and do this other thing as well now. Lovely. Uh, and it's that sort of thing you can get from video games when you start get you start queuing up your side quests, don't you? Almost yes. like you you have to sort of choose between which ones you want rather than thinking, what should I do? Or oh my god, there's only one thing to do. It's a bit kind of railroady. Yeah, it's just it's exciting to return to those games, isn't it? Because you are now invested. You've now got stuff you want to do. The GM is saying less and less every week, and you're saying more and more as the player. And the campaign takes on its own momentum. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing we've managed to do. Uh, just quite organically as well. It's like cut out the shopping so much, although because of uh, the nature of the campaign, there is a bit about how much money you've got and how big a boat you can afford and stuff like that. And one or two of the players are quite into that. So we yeah. kind of like tracking stuff if they trade anything or how much money they've got or reward for capturing a vessel or whatever it might be. But it's not really getting in the way. you know. So one of the players quite likes doing that, how much food we've got left and can we feed everybody on ship or yeah. I'm going to have to let some of the crew go home. So that's all right. It's not, not onerous for everyone. Uh, and then things like buying a new set of leather armor that someone wanted, we just that just all got wrapped up in. Everybody was out at the pub that night, and I said, "Okay, so it's the following morning, and uh, you know, what do we see of your character? What does it look like?" And one of them was like swanning around in his shiny new leather armor he got. That's, uh -huh, you know, nice. Got full sleeves on it to hide his pirate tattoos because he, you know, he's turned over a new leaf and that kind of. Thing. So that that enables you to like have all those things that you would normally have. Like, is there anything else you want to do? Like buy new armor or get some potions, whatever it is. But just describe it after the fact. We don't need to role play going to the shops. You can just tell us as part of your little vision of what's happened off screen that no one needs to know about. And uh, it's you know it's another good role playing opportunity for people to tell us 
about their character or how their character fits into the world. So um, the guy's got a grail, which is like a big walrus man. So his little bit the morning after was like led on the beach, stripped to the waist, like, like 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 a beach seal or a beach whale kind of thing. Nice. And he kind of looked around to see all the other Grail all like splayed out the sand of that. <laughs> so that's like now become canon in the game that what the Grail do when they get drunk is all end up down by the you know by the, the waterfront. Yeah. And just end up being picked over by the crabs and whatever. Else. But there's a nice little piece that came out of nowhere that you know we're all kind of managing to get all the usual game stuff done, but just making it a swift uh, and be sort of characterful. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, this, this taps into probably every podcast we've ever done. We end up talking about this, don't we? Which is, you know, setting the scene, joining in, colouring in bits and pieces, helping each other out, playing up to what you've got in front of you. The You know, just avoiding all of those, I think, probably unhealthy habits in gaming of turtling and uh, too much planning, uh, too much just dickering around on high streets and markets and haggling over the price of a pint of mead. It's not adventure, is it? Not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> or at all, in fact. No. Yeah, there's, there's another bit from the weekend. I was, I was thinking about playing some Pendragon. Uh, someone else was running. And it's... um, I'd, I'm aware of generalising, but something I note about German gamers is they tend to want to be exact about things. Right. Or certainly the ones I've encountered. And, you know, is it right? Would I know that? And... You know, I almost put barriers in their own way sometimes, thinking, yes. oh, no, I probably wouldn't have understood that or I wouldn't have overheard that, so I can't get involved in this. It's like, mm, stop trying to take yourself out of things and put yourself into things more. And, you know, m- me as a GM facilitator, and I'll tell you if you're overreaching or whatever, but, like, assume that you can kind of try and get involved if you make... Just make some excuse why you would have heard that thing or why you would be in that scene or whatever it might be. And it can be a relatively trivial excuse. I'm not looking for, uh, you know, cast-iron guarantees. Just, yeah. you know, work towards adding more stuff. There was a weird point where um, we got some information off some villagers in a hamlet and sent them up back to the castle and the, you know, the, the bad knight who's at the castle get beating them up and stuff. Like, and later on, we came back to the castle there's a, a bunch of villagers there. Uh, and the character said, oh, is that, is that guy we talked to there earlier? And then Jim was like, oh, I don't know, let me think. And he, he read dash roll behind his hands and was presumably had some percentage chance <laughs> in his head of how many villagers there are and you know whether it was them or not. I went, oh, no, no, you don't recognise them. I thought, what? Well, how much better would it be just to go? Yes, exactly. he's there. He's got a massive black eye and a chip on his shoulder because she sent to the castle and got his ass kicked by the night. And you know, now he's lost his teeth. How's he going to eat any food or something, whatever it might be? Yeah, uh, there's just an opportunity for like adding more flavour and stuff and reincorporating people and making that world feel like it's alive and you're part of it. Like, just take it. Don't don't be like thinking of ways to not to do it. I guess is the my advice for the year. Yeah, exactly. So. Like in, in video games, back when I used to play, when it was Halo and stuff like that, there were certain bits of scenery that you couldn't really interact with. They, you'd just walk into an invisible wall. And it had to be there for a reason, because they couldn't do complete open-world stuff. The trouble is RPGs don't have those invisible walls, and I think sometimes they would benefit from them. And actually, reincorporating that NPC is a positive use of an invisible wall, because it brings it back into the sphere of what you've all been playing. And it brings it back into someone that you know. And it doesn't have you bouncing around looking for something, you know, which is can be tedious at best. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not railroading. It's just it's just bringing, bringing the game to the table. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I like reading books. I really do. They're great fun. And I like, I like watching movies and having something to lay stuff out for me. But surely one of the points of RPGs is to interact with the game. 
Mm. Um, and you you need to have agency. You need to have agency, and there needs to be consequences. And and everybody's everybody should be looking for opportunities because sometimes it can be quite hard to get a game going really well, and sometimes it can drag or sometimes it can drop. But you just can't afford to ignore those opportunities when they literally walk up in front of you and say hi. You've got mm. to shake them by the hand and make a conversation. Not I say nothing and back away. And, when, and whenever we get offered in our Rosefall game at the moment, whenever we are offered, do you talk to the merchant? Do you kill the merchant? Do you walk away from the merchant? We always try and pick something proactive. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, and it, it means stuff happens. And stuff yes. happening is good. Even if it's not good for you, it's good. Yeah, it might not be good for your character, but it's good for your player. Yeah. I guess is one way of looking at it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that kind of reincorporation stuff happens in TV and films anyway. You know, if you watched Andor, it's a, it's not even really a spoiler, but there's a, a sort of like a an official in it, a sergeant or something, like a low-level official. He's in like two or three episodes and then they go off planet and you don't see him. And about episode seven or eight, there's a video call someone makes the planet and it's this dude again and he's got a different job now. But he's like, oh, it's that guy again. Yeah. You know, and it's just like a little bit of recognition. And, you know, it, it didn't have to be. It could have been anybody that got rung up on that. But exactly. It's just bringing that familiar face back in just to give you a bit of a callback moment. Yeah. It's always cool. Yeah. So, um, so has it been a good year for gaming? You, we talked about the uh, the quantity you've had, which has been a bit down, but it was from a very high year, I think. It was, yeah, the year before. Yeah. So, what about the quality though? Has it been a has two thousand and twenty two been a poster year for Gaz? It's been pretty good, I think. So, so it's been good to play some Savage Worlds, for example. I'm running some. I've got to play some, and I think we're getting even more people involved in it. Like one by one, I'm getting the world convinced that it's actually an alright system. I think when I play a set of fifty fathoms. You're beginning to convince me that Savage Worlds isn't shit. So oh. that's, you know, a glowing recommendation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a step up. You know, winning people around. Been good to do uh, with a Cthulhu group, for example. We don't necessarily play every couple of weeks. It might be once a month. But we've got through the Berlin Wicked City book. We're doing the Australia stuff now. I've run some Delta Green. So there's lots of different flavours of Call of Cthulhu uh, and that genre that we're managing to get done, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It feels a little bit trite because it's like when you say, "Oh, I've done Berlin," because you've been there once. Like, there's yeah, quite a lot yeah, to a city, and saying you've done it's a stretch. But we've had a good shake of it. I think is the way to say it. So we have tried a variety of settings. I think that's a good thing, a good way of doing Call of Cthulhu. Because the complaint our good friend Pete's got about Massive Now off the tap is, he's, I think he's been doing it for one reason or another. He's about halfway through. It's been two years so far. Uh-huh. And they're still trying to get to some sort of kind of end. It's not getting there. He's on his third character. He doesn't know why he'd be involved anymore. <laughs> all the usual sort of stuff. But doing it our way, where we kind of rotate the GM chair and do maybe three or four sessions at a time mm-hmm. and then move on to something else, uh, it's keeping it reasonably fresh. Because we've got a consistent group, you get some continuity that way. But it's allowing us to explore different settings and time periods and uh-huh. I think I'm getting more out of Call of Cthulhu through what we've done this last year than I have from the previous few where you know I generally go to a convention and play yet another 1920s Innsmouth based scenario whatever sure. it might be uh, so that's good really enjoyed our Blades in the Dark that we did yep and then yeah you jumped in about halfway through the campaign rotating it's, GMs again yeah that was really handy. I think we're going to try and get back to it again next year. You might try some yes. random blades or something. Yes. Uh, but yes, that kind of Force in the Dark stuff's always good, and it was nice to 
mix it up. And yeah, like I said, the rotating chair of gems is something I've done a couple of times now. And the way you can mix ideas up, and we were talking about reincorporation there, you can reincorporate other people's ideas and put your spin on them and try mm. and advance them or whatever. And some things are sacrosanct that you don't, or you don't want to touch them, and you leave them for other people to do. And uh, it's just a way of churning up uh, what potentially could happen into all kinds of different ways that keeps it unexpected for everyone uh, and produces loads of little insightful moments or quirks or little bits and pieces that people weren't expecting. Mm. I think one time I did a kind of um, big top circus thing almost yes. in one of the, and everyone was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that in, uh, in Duskwell. That's, but, you know, it was just an idea that and I can't remember where I got the inspiration from, but that kind of thing with mixing things up, it just brings more to the gaming table all around, I think, for everybody. Yeah, it's a different lens, isn't it? I mean, in the same campaign, we had a prison break. Right, yeah. uh, there's all, there, something was always on fire. That was probably the only common thread <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Uh, but we had like cold docks and shipbound stuff and underground canals. And yeah, it got to just do different experiences around the city that otherwise could just appear to be quite grey and samey, even though you know the book does, tries to do a really good job of differentiating between various districts. It can all be a bit, it's a warehouse, there are people with crossbows. Yeah, but by having different flavors of GM and just sort of zooming in on different aspects of the gang, yeah, it's great stuff. And we would return to it, and it would still feel fresh for that very reason, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. I think one of the other things I was going to mention is um, Dogs in the Vineyard. We played a bit of. Yeah. Now that's one of the reasons for stopping doing that. I think we tried two or three sessions. Was just the mechanics of playing the game. It within it, you sort of move dice backwards and forwards on the table, uh-huh. and you can look at what the pairs people have got. Um, tried to do it all with tokens and stuff, but it just didn't. It was just laborious. Right. Like the the excitement you get around the table when you play it was removed, and was just it felt like an admin task online yeah. to do. So that's probably something I'll look out for in the future as well. That um, we all need to consider, or maybe just what's better about playing in person sometimes is some games with. Uh, the innovative mechanics means that they're just better around the table and trying to do it online is just not going to give you as good enough experience, perhaps. Yeah, uh, uh, certainly our Star Wars game that we're a good few weeks into now where the funky FFG dice, um, it's nice to have have them physically in front of you. I, I totally get that the app, or if you're playing it in Roll20, it just gives you the result. It just kicks mm. that out really quickly, which, you know, pros and cons to that. But pushing lumps of plastic around, we're still at the novelty stage. And we quite <laughs> like doing that. And we quite like, you know, um, the sheer tactile thrill of putting together your positive dice, the GM handing you a half a handful of negative dice, and you chuck them all into one pool and separate them out. Might get a bit over the top at some point. I could see it, you know, the, the, the bloom will come off that rose. But for now, the novelty is keeping it going. I do yeah. quite like having stuff to push about. Yeah. And uh, I guess the other thing from this year is that some pen should have played stuff like Dogs in the Vineyard, which is quite an old game now. Yeah. Even older, Oz Magica. So thanks to Matt Brew from Albert Wizard Staff. People may know him. He, he ran that for us at Grog Meat. So that was cool too. It's, it's something we, we talked to Jonathan Tweet and others about. Yeah. We'd like to see more of. So it's good to play some of those games and play them with modern sensibilities. Yeah. I think. Uh, and then you've kind of got. <laughs> something to play at the weekend. Lords of the Middle Sea, which will be out next year, uh, via Chaosium, which is based on something like a 1983 or 84 board game, when there's, there's never been a role-playing <laughs> game of it. it. It sounds like one of those things where you think like, oh yeah, I used to play that with Adventures of Luther Arkwright and stuff like that, but no, it's not. It's like this is the first ever role-playing game there'll be. Wow. 
and I'll probably still savage it, to be fair. But the background sounds reasonably interesting, <laughs> so, so we'll see. <laughs> but it is that chance to play some newer things or new things that are coming out. I guess like the One Ring Second Edition. That's something I'm noticing about what might be coming out next year as well with like 13th Age Second Edition playtest I've got hold of, so we might be trying that at some point, or certainly aim to anyway, now yeah. we've got the materials. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Pendragon 6E coming out. Uh, and there's various just iterations of stuff. It almost feels like uh, RPGs to a degree are getting a bit like uh, films and stuff, where mm. a lot of them seem to be sequels or reimaginings or reboots of stuff that we've already got. And then when you start to think, well, why do we need a new one of that? The kind of cry is now that most role players are younger than we are. Yes. And for a new audience, that were the first time they experience it, you know, the new Blue Planet or whatever it might be. Well, they've not got a history of Blue Planet like we have. So for them, it'll be like, oh, best on a water world. That sounds interesting. Yeah. And be all new and shiny. Yeah. I mean, the new stuff that's coming up, I'll tell you one thing I'm not bothered by, and this will be the first. I'm not bothered by D&D. One D&D is going to maybe land next year. Might be the year after, to be honest. But it'll be well into its development stage by next year. Couldn't give a monkeys. Isn't that weird? (laughs) I'm glad I was sat down. <laughs> well, I still love playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I've played enough of it recently that I, that I realise, you know, I'm probably just a bit burnt out on it. But I will definitely go back to it. I couldn't give a monkey's about the next edition. And normally, normally, I'd be subscribing to the newsletter hard. You know, I'd be doing mm. the play tests, I'd be updating things, I'd be retooling campaigns, and it would also send me back to my old stuff to see, you know, what can I, what can I reincorporate literally from previous campaigns? Yeah. But, you know, and it's not that I'm a massive fan of 5e and I'm refusing to move on from that in the slightest. It's just I don't think I need to buy it again. I just don't need to. It's like when you get your favourite album on vinyl, then you bought it on tape, then you got it on CD, and then you got it on Spotify. Do you think, will you stop making me buy the same thing over and over again? (laughs) And it's not even that I just go back to, you know... It's it's not a nostalgia thing. It's not about like, well, I've got basic D&D. What else do I need for the rest of my life? No, far from it. It's just I've got other games. There's other yeah. things to play, and, yeah. and and despite despite everything we've said about online, there is still you know you've got limited resources for just how much you can do, and you've got to have you've got to have a you've got a mojo's got to be there as well, hasn't it? You got to have the energy mm-hmm. for something. I mean, when you talk about Ars Magica, I would love to play in an Ars Magica campaign. I really would. It's been one of my sort of holy grails of gaming for a long time because I think it's got so much depth to it and um, just genuinely interested in how it all goes together. I'd like to see that kind of multi-generational troop play, mm-hmm. but realistically, it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen because it hasn't happened with any of the editions I've bought of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you just have to, you have to box clever with your gaming, I think. So, so for me, 2022 was less about purchasing games and, and more about using the stuff that I do have on my shelf and using it smartly i suppose and mm-hmm. uh, and the one that gives me the most legs remains blades in the dark or forged in the dark games ran a couple of games of scum of villainy at north star the sheffield convention mm-hmm. uh, which i really enjoyed doing and pushed me out of my comfort zone as a gm for very low prep gaming and you know improvising off of the dice rolls and letting the game play the game and i enjoyed both of those sessions very much i really did and i've still got good memories of those and as you alluded to, I do want to do Band of Blades to do military fantasy. You know, I've read the Black Company books and enjoyed those, and I really like the tone and I love the setting, and I think it's very doable. Uh, but uh, but um, but it feels like you have to construct the right play group 
around anything that you plan to do. It's not just a question of pitching it to the guys and then off you go. You seem to be able to get get through that with your group. You can just pitch a different yeah. game every six weeks or so. Yeah. And it sounds like most of the time you can reach an accord quite quickly. But there are definitely, with my group, there are some games which I don't want to play or one of the players is just not interested in. And if they're not, then we we won't play it. So we have to be quite discerning sometimes. Yeah, well, we do have a bit of that as well. You know, like I don't want to play superhero games. So that's just yeah. My, yeah. my red line. And uh, and I worry the players just doesn't want to do Cthulhu stuff. So right. that's, you know, another raft of stuff we can't do. And then, with I guess, one of the, the slight issues is the jockeying, because we've got, like four GMs out of five people, <laughs> and, and like everyone's got at least three games they want to run yeah. next. So there's just a bit of shenanigans we've got to do around what we can play. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, with some of the games, I'd, I'd be happy playing longer form. But um, you know, a good friend guy and that likes to change things up more frequently. Yeah, and you know, uh, and it's a weird thing. I don't know that you get this, uh, but certainly myself and Neil and, and Guy have all mentioned it at one time or another that. You, you can get fatigued with something or want to move on and try something different and mm. take a break because jamming feels like a lot, especially if you've got multiple groups or you've got conventions on and all the rest of it. But give it a few weeks and you kind of go like, oh, it's my turn. I want to jam now. Yes. Like, well, and you kind of, you're never happy either way almost. So like if you're jamming all the time, you kind of feel like you need a break. And then when you're not doing, you're like, oh, getting antsy. Yeah, like, I true. need to run something, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that sort of segues into my plans for next year, if you don't mind us taking us there. Uh, um, Do it. We spoke to Sean Tompkin a long time ago now, mm-hmm. and we backed the Kickstarter, and this year my physical copy of Starforged, the the sister to Ironsworn role-playing game, showed up. I'm yeah. so glad I backed it physically. So glad. I'm so glad so, that I didn't. Oh, it's a glorious <laughs> thing. Um, so yeah, I went in quite deep on it, and and I've got like, the nice hardback book which you would expect, and it's got bookmarks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not normally a fan of going, oh, it looks really pretty, but it really does look very pretty. And and the artists and graphic design guys who are behind it, I'm ashamed to say I haven't got their name to hand, but the artist gets dual credit on the front of the book. It's not just about the words. So apologies to Joshua. Me or something like that. Yeah, I'm going to find it. We'll get there. But that's been delivered along with a. A wire-bound reference book, which contains everything you need, which is simply none of the fluff, all of the game. So you can have that open at the table beside you. And an asset deck, so a deck of cards, which has got all of the cool little bits of shizzle on it. And those three things have landed. And it's a lovely package. And what I want to do with it next year, because it is kind of adjacent to Forged in the Dark, it's very similar in some of the tropes. It's an Apocalypse World-style kind of deal. But it's sci-fi. And you and I have always mm. looked for sci-fi games. And I think Starforged right. could definitely deliver. But one of the things I'm going to test on it is cooperative gaming. So GMless. Now, um, Sean's games have always been uh, solo games that you can play role-playing games with. He did it with Iron Sworn as well. And we've had lovely sessions of Iron Sworn in a traditional, here's a GM, here's three or four players kind of setup. But yeah. it is absolutely designed as well for solo fun. And I don't do a lot of solo gaming. I've never done a lot of solo gaming. A lot of solo reading, a lot of solo prep, but not actual solo gaming. And I'm going to give that a bit of a go. Um, but also cooperative gaming, which you very rarely see RPGs pushing as a, as a possible way of playing. But with my experiences with that giant board game I was telling you about, I quite like the idea, because I've got GMs in my group as well, of us trying it without anyone 
being in charge, as it were. And the game is set up so that you can play it cooperatively. So you each have a player. You obviously have to come to some decisions about what's happening in the setting and the plots and so on. And I just wonder how it can deal with that whole, like, you know, marking your own homework kind of situation where if, is it the Shager principle? You, if you set up the problem, then your solution to it isn't as satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I but I know that Starforged has the asset deck and it has the tables and the oracles and the, everything else that you roll. So that there's an element of you can't call it an AI because it's a book and a dice roll. <laughs> but <laughs> there's some tables in it. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. That'll marry my love of Forged in the Dark. Hopefully, get the right players on board and see what we can create. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, it is Joshua Mee, and the artist, by the way. Yeah, I should have good. It, thank you. Which is good. Yeah, uh, and I recommend. Um, a YouTube channel I stumbled upon the other day. There's, uh, it's called Me, Myself and Die. Huh? Exclamation mark. Uh, it's a guy who does uh, solo RPG stuff himself. He's a voice actor, I think. But he does an Iron Sworn one. Oh. So it's well worth looking at just to get that feel for uh, someone running the game for themselves and like interpreting the Oracle tables when they've rolled them to say what might be happening and that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, everyone should go and check that out if you fancy a look at how solo RPG gaming might work. Hmm. I definitely fancy got that. Perhaps GMful Starforged is what I might look for. I might approach from two different angles and see how we get on. Sure. But, um, yeah, or joining together, who knows. Yeah, I, I think um, we tried a bit of that, didn't we? You tried FFG, I have for Star Wars. I tried The Expanse as well, which was good fun at first, but I found it became arduous. Yeah. I think is the word. Too many extra tables. The, the stuff in there are stunts and that sounds like it's going to be good. Uh, and ends up being uh, not necessarily adding to the game and, and became also a meme part way through. So I kind of gave that a rest. Uh, we did put a call out actually for for people who might run some D6 hours. So shout out to Tom, who's offered to run something. He's going to do it in the new year. I think he's away in Jakarta or somewhere this month. But uh, yeah, we, we can maybe get a game in that. Nice. Talk, talking of next year, something I might like to do, uh, depending on the support of our lovely listeners, is, you know, Maybe getting just the odd sessions, like not campaigns necessarily, but just to try some new things out. Or if you've got a game out there in listener land that you think's really good and we don't talk about or talk about enough or perhaps have the wrong impression of, uh, just drop us a line and get in touch because I think it'd be nice just to do some one-shots with the listeners next year as well if we can manage it. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And or run stuff for listeners. You mm. know, just get some nice faces on the screen that we don't normally see. That would be terrific. There's plenty of you out there. Don't be shy. We're really nice people. <laughs> Despite what the podcast may lead you to believe, <laughs> we are actually really nice people. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess another thing that's coming out next year that I'm, I'm curious about, because I tried Elden Ring as the actual computer game and yeah. did not get on with it. Uh, a lot of people like it. I expressed why I didn't like it, and they went, oh, yeah, they're all like that. Have you never played for <laughs> Dark Souls or something before? I was like, no, I haven't. So it's why it became a surprise to me that it played the way it did. But um, yeah, a good friend, Matt from Steve Forge, is producing that. So they did have um, an unfortunate incident with the last uh, licensed RPG they produced this year, didn't they? And they had to yeah. sort of pull up a lot of books and, and fix it all. So uh, I'm 100% sure that there'll be lessons learned from that. And The Elden Ring should be uh, a thing of beauty. It was interesting to see them do like a big launch campaign in a, like a cathedral or a church or something, it was, wasn't it? And all kinds of banners up and a. A video show going on and loads of guests from media there. Looks like yeah. a really uh, impressive thing. I think it's you know due to make a lot of money as well. So it'll be interesting based on what we were saying earlier about 
a more broad appeal if if that proper transition can be made from getting all the millions of RPG video gamers into an actual RPG or something like that. That's the big one to watch for next year as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, we can get Matt on and ask him himself. I won't speak for him, but in conversations I've had with Matt, it's a big part of their 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 strategy is looking at that crossover of where they get their gamers from. And I mean, they had $4 million of pledges for Elden Ring, which is mm-hmm. stupid money in anyone's... Yeah. I, mean, I think that's broken a bunch of records. Um, and they still think it could have been more. They think uh, you know that people are being a bit more savvy about how they spend their money on Kickstarters these days because over the course of the big pandemic, people spend a lot of cash and they haven't finished those games yet. They're, you know, only <laughs> got them out of the box sometimes. Like, oh, that's what gaming's like. Not receive some of them. <laughs> yeah, also, yeah, true. Uh, but they're, they're pushing the boat out and they, are, they, are, they still believe that there is an awful lot of people out there who have never played what we would call a role-playing game. And it is the vast majority of the customers for stuff like their Dark Souls board game or their Resident Evil board game or or will be Elden Ring board game. Uh, and you know Matt as well as anyone. I mean, he might be running a board games company, but believe you me, he's a role player at heart. Mm-hmm. And he's always trying to sneak this stuff in. Or And, uh, and Epic Encounters is, is still very, very successful for them. And Matt's always beavering away on new RPG stuff. And we're always talking about mechanics and so on. And he's, that's where his heart is. And and his mission is basically to convert all of those people into playing the kind of games that our listeners will, would enjoy. Yeah. And there's there's lots to love about that that crossover with board gaming. It is astonishing how many people, like, you know, the, the lady who works in the office at my school, will play an ancient Egyptian pharaoh and raising a slave army at the weekend. But I don't suppose they've ever sat around and played Tunnels and Trolls. I probably never would. But yeah, there's there's plenty of gamers out there, and um, and companies are now trying their best, I think, to to reap the rewards of stuff like Wednesday being the biggest Netflix hit ever. Mm. Uh, still riding on Stranger Things, you know. Every every child in my class, they're all ten years old, and they all know about Dungeons and Dragons through Stranger Things. They all do, every single one. Of them. Right, bonkers, isn't it? So yeah, yeah there's there's still a really big audience for for gaming. Um, and so from that perspective, go back to the D&D thing. I am interested to see what Wizards of the Coast does with D&D in this landscape, but I'm personally not invested in playing the game particularly. Maybe mm. one day. Yeah, I've noticed it's starting to get... I don't know whether things just get bigger and more popular then you start to get more blood back just generally, but I'm starting to see a bit of that. When I went on to Mastodon, basically, which is, I guess, a poor man version of my Twitter account currently, because it's just kind of, there's the backup and building up again, as I did when I first joined Twitter. But there's quite a few people, because I cast my net wide to look at TTRPG as a hashtag or something, see what else might be about. Quite a few people are kind of like taking a dim view of Free League for having licenses and producing successful yes. Kickstarters and things like that. And it's, it, I don't know, it just seems, as a another roleplay, it seemed weird to have, have a problem with that. To yeah. say they bought under the license and made a success out of it. And they should be careful because they're going to collapse or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where this kind of like naysaying comes from, or that not that they've sold out because they, it's impossible for them to do so. They produce, they're doing the wrong thing, but it felt a little bit like that. And I don't know whether they're, they're, you know, like someone like Free League's in danger of becoming a big boy in inverted commas, even though it's you know half a dozen people probably who work on it. Yeah, uh, and and that that sort of thing. So like, and there's a lot of D and D antipathy still. Yes, there is. I yeah. don't know. For, yeah. for whatever reason, people seem to just have a knee-jerk hate it, and why do people play that? And 
um, think that for some reason people who play D and D are taking food out of the mouths of independent RPG creators or something, which is a bizarre fallacy. So yeah, man, there's just like an edge of um, I don't know. I, I, I guess for for people like you and I, we can't understand why people are more enthusiastic about it all. Yeah, it it just seems weird. It seems discordant to me when I when I read like quite a lot of negative things that about stuff that doesn't really seem to be a problem, but people are imagining might be a problem at some point in the future. Yeah, and it, and it is a shame. Is I think it's inevitable because people are just tribal and rubbish anyway, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, when you get this huge influx of new people into the hobby, we should we should all be doing a better job of being more welcoming, just generally mm-hmm. speaking. No matter what sort of thing they want to play, you know, enough already about people saying like, "Oh, let me show you all of these other games." It's not just D and D, you know. Let people find stuff out. You don't have to put their arm up behind their back and put them <laughs> off the hobby. Christ Almighty, you know. Let people play around a little bit. And besides, what what's wrong with playing D anD? I played it for years, and we all played it when we started, didn't we? Mm. That's fine. Doesn't mean we have to play it today. But let let people enjoy their hobby, will you? Doesn't matter. Let them collect their their Stormwind dice set. Let them play. <laughs> Stop suggesting yeah. how they could be doing it better, because it just comes <laughs> off as you're doing it wrong. Yeah, there is a lot of. Uh... Don't play that. I've seen recently. I guess is the thing I'm, I'm talking about. Not just necessarily about D and D, but about other things as well. It's like, right. no, I don't do that. I do this, uh, and I just kind of think, well, you know what? If you want to play Orkborg, then you play Orkborg. It's not for me particularly. Yeah, exactly. I enjoyed it as a one shot, but I'm not going to tell people. <laughs> run around the internet, finding people who are playing it, tell them not to. That's just bizarre <laughs> behaviour. Yeah, what are you going to do? People get attached to stuff, don't they? And I do understand where the, some of the free league stuff comes from because. You definitely get, as a fan, and someone who's back to Kickstarter, when you back a Kickstarter, you feel like you're a shareholder, don't you, to some yes. degree. You've got skin in the game then. Yeah, you? you've got some like say in the direction of the line. And bless them, Free League have been so good and done so much quality and, and reinvested in themselves that they are now producing games at a rate that nobody could keep up with, not and play campaigns of. Right. So I think some of it as well is like, oh, what are you doing releasing Blade Runner? I've... I've not actually finished the Alien campaign that I'm sure only came out last week. And I could get where that comes from. That does feel a little bit like you're being flooded. I remember back when I had to play a lot of GW stuff and it was literally impossible to keep up with the pace of releases. And by mm-hmm. the time you painted your army, a new edition was out. You just couldn't yeah. do it. And even with it as a full-time job, it was impossible. And it must feel like that in RPG world sometimes. You've got GMs who are queuing up and they've got three or four games in mind, and they'll have changed their minds by the time it gets around to being played. You can't do mm-hmm. all of it. So if you are a big fan of a company, and you get that kind of collector bug, which people have always had, whether it be for Chaosium or Palladium, or whatever it is that you're collecting, yeah, sometimes you can be a victim of that success, can't you? And, and I say that as uh, somebody who's got about five feet of shelf space devoted to fourth edition D&D. <laughs> <laughs> I bought everything. I mean everything. Oh, God Almighty! Well, I am look. I am looking forward to interviewing uh, uh, our friends from Free League again yeah. and some other people. So, I guess that's another thing I'm looking forward for next year is getting some people back on. It'd be good. We did promise we'd sort of speak to Vincent and Meg Baker again, so it'd be nice yeah. to see them again. I know the Shadow of the Weird Wizard that Rob Schwab's working on, so that would be good to sort of like chat to him at some point. Yeah, looking forward to that. A bunch of other people that had, uh, you know, be really good to get on the show. Like Jason Cordova was good to speak to. I'm sure there's some new stuff next year, next yeah. year as well. Yeah, a whole bunch of like repeat guests and also probably new ones. If uh, if there's people out there that people want to recommend, uh, we can't guarantee we'll get to them. We've had to uh, 
decline some people just due to like personal circumstances or a schedule or whatever else it might be or things haven't worked out with time zones but uh, don't be shy of recommending people to us because we're always uh, keeping one eye open for who might be next on the show yeah yeah absolutely so 2023 is going to see a lot more smile party stuff and um yeah yeah <laughs> keep your eyes peeled there's stuff in the pipeline there's always stuff in the pipeline but that doesn't mean there isn't room for more suggestions so let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to provide it Yep, and thank you, as we usually say. I think always, but if we forget, we still think it in our hearts. Thank you to our patrons. You are the people that help us pay the evil internet man who makes us pay money to have this podcast running uh, and to buy new kits, basically, and and get us places so that we can do interviews or all the other things that uh, enable us to produce content for you. Uh, And, of course, not just patrons, but anyone who gives us a kind word at a convention, who can share it on social media, who tells their friends about it, gets someone at work, the little 70-year-old lady, perhaps who works in admin, to listen to what (laughs) the smart party do. Uh, All of that helps us with the algorithms and just uh, spread the word. So thanks to everybody who's supported us over the year, and we look forward to giving you more excellent contact in the new year. Yeah, happy holidays, everyone. Hope it was as good for you as it was for us. Until next time, dear listeners, bye-bye.